This is the first day of this June 2022 Seven Day Sashin. I'm going to start reading the teachings of the uh, 12th century Chinese master Yuan Wu. I'll start with the, uh, some biographical material about him. This is, uh, then we'll move on to a book of his teachings called Zen Letters, but first the biographical material. <clears throat> his, uh, his name, <clears throat> until much later in life, was uh, Fo Guo, but uh, we're going to go with Yuan Wu. That's how he became famous, by that name. He was most famous as the author of the Blue Cliff Records, one of the <clears throat> the two most uh, famous collections of koans. I'm reading here from Zen's Chinese Heritage by Andy Ferguson. He was born in the year 1063. <clears throat> was a disciple of another great master, Wu Zhu Fayan. He was supposed to have been a very gifted youth who thoroughly studied the Confucian classics and said he is said to have written 1,000 words every day. During a visit to a monastery, uh, he saw some Buddhist sutras and was surprised by a strong feeling that he had previously possessed them, in other words, in a previous lifetime. He then became a monk, became ordained, and studied under a Vinaya master and, uh, and a sutra teacher. Vinaya it was a whole sect unto itself at that time. Uh, that many of the, actually, many of the monks who became uh, great masters, they started out in the Vinaya. It's the, uh, the sect that specializes in the study of the precepts. So he did that, and he studied the sutras, but neither of those was Zen. And he became deathly ill. He realized that his sutra study and his chanting of the Buddha's name, it's another, yet another practice, was insufficient. And he said, the true path of nirvana of all the Buddhas is not found in words. I've used sounds to seek form, but it's of no use for dealing with death. This, uh, this facing of death, however m many years it may be, still be off, this recognition that we will all die is one of the most promising signs for someone who would go far in, in the Dharma this awareness that those people 
who are most dear to me now, we will be separated someday. Either I'll go before them or they'll go before me. They were all like fish in a pond that is steadily being drained. He did recover from this serious illness and uh, he set his sights on the Zen school. Zen, of course, in China is known as Chan. He first <clears throat> trained under a Zen master, certain Zen master. I won't clutter up unnecessarily uh, this Taisho with too many names that don't figure prominently. He trained under a certain Zen master, and during one of their discussions, this master pricked his arm and bled a few drops of blood. He showed it to Yuan Wu and said, this is a drop of Cow Creek. Must have been a local, local creek. This startled Yuan Wu. And after some time, he said, is it really? Then uh, Yuan Wu went on to several other teachers. Uh, everywhere he went, his teachers said that he was to be a great vessel for the Dharma. And then he met the great teacher, Wu Zhu. However, Yuan Wu felt that their first meeting was a failure because Wu Zhu seemed aloof and unsympathetic. Yuan Wu became angry and began to walk away. And as he left, Wu Zhu called after him, wait until you become feverishly ill, then think of me. Yeah, see what, what really matters. See how much in the big picture, how much it really counts if the teacher you meet is aloof and unsympathetic. If that teacher also has realized the Dharma. See what it really matters that anyone is aloof. When we're seriously ill, things fall into perspective. And we're not going to be, we're going to see any kind of little personal, um, having your feelings hurt, getting angry with someone, how absolutely unimportant that is. Well, once again, 
Yuan Wu became extremely ill, but he, he then did remember Wu Zhu's words, and he pledged to return to him when he recovered. And when Wu Zhu saw him uh, return, he laughed and told him to go to the practice hall. And then Yuan Wu took the position of attendant to Wu Zhu. And then there's a, an account here that led up to Yuan Wu's awakening. I've always found complicated, difficult cultural references, so I'm just going to skip it and, and just uh, come to the climax, which is his enlightenment, sudden enlightenment. He went outside the cottage and saw a rooster fly to the top of a railing, beat his wings, and crow loudly. He said to himself, Isn't this the sound? He then took incense to light in gratitude, went back into Wu Zhu's room, and Wu Zhu said, The great matter of the Buddha ancestors is not sought by inferior vessels. I share your joy. And then he informed the prominent elders of the temple, most senior uh, monks, my attendant has attained the goal of Zen practice. And at that, Yuan Wu was promoted to the position of head monk. And now moving on, in, uh, at some point, Yuan Wu became abbot of a famous temple, and he then moved uh, to where a, another famous teacher lived to discuss the doctrines of Zen and Yen Buddhism. <clears throat> Yen is another sect. And then from this, Yuan Wu's fame spread widely, and he resided, came to reside at Blue Cliff Temple, hence the name of the Koan collection. There, uh, he wrote, he compiled his koans, um, these 100 koans, and that text, the Blue Cliff Record, gained wide popularity during his lifetime, but it received uh, some condemnation. To, to some, it did represent the highest standard of Zen literature, and that, by the way, is still true today. It's still considered one of the, the uh, most um, illustrious pieces of Chinese literature ever. But to others, it represented a subversion of Zen's tradition of pointing directly at mind and shunning the study of written words as a vehicle for liberation. So it sounds like these are the ones who just were anti-koan, 
They just thought the real pure practice had nothing to do with words. <clears throat> his famous heir, his famous Dharma heir, Dao Wei, was so alarmed by the success of his teacher's book that he attempted to destroy as many copies as possible. But it was too late. The, the book was already in circulation and uh, it couldn't be stopped. What's a little confusing here is that this Da Wei, who wanted to have the book destroyed, himself was a, a great proponent of the koan system. So uh, I don't know what he was alarmed about. And then it was when at the apex of Yuan Wu's fame, uh, the emperor conferred upon him the name Zen Master Yuan Wu, which means perfect enlightenment. Now just a couple of stories about Yuan Wu. He entered the hall and addressed the monks as follows. The eye cannot see the pervasive Buddha body. The ear cannot hear the pervasive Buddha body. Speech cannot describe the pervasive Buddha body. The mind cannot imagine the pervasive Buddha body. Even if you can behold the entire great earth, not missing a trace, then you've gone only halfway. And if called on to do so, how could you describe it? Within its boundaries, the sun and moon are suspended. The universal clear emptiness the endless source of spring. And the pervasive Buddha body. Mind. This Moo. Remember Buddha. Buddha means awareness. When we say the Buddha, it refers to the guy in India, but Buddha, the word Buddha, means awareness, our, our fundamental awareness. our ageless fundamental awareness. That which hears these words, that which feels cold and heat and pain, Buddha, one's own nature,
The monk asked Yuan Wu, what is the true host? We could say, what is the true self? Yuan Wu said, the myriad streams return to the sea, a thousand mountains honor the essential doctrine. Another time he ascended the seat and said, The heat of a fire cannot compare with the heat of the sun. The cold wind cannot compare with the coldness of the moon. A crane's legs are naturally long, and a duck's legs are naturally short. A pine tree is naturally tall and straight, while brambles are crooked. Geese are white, crows are black. Everything is manifested in this manner. When you completely comprehend this, then everywhere you go, you'll be the host. Everything you meet will be the teaching. When you carry this pole, you'll be prepared to fight anywhere. Do you have it? Do you have it? One more here. He said to the monks, There is a bright road that the Buddhas and ancestors knew. You are facing it, and what you see and hear is not separate from it. The myriad things cannot conceal it, and a thousand saints can't embody it. It is vibrant, it can't be carried. It is clearly exposed. It is without impediment. Even if you undergo blows from the staff like rain and shouts like thunderclaps, you're still no closer to the ultimate principle. What is the ultimate principle? Blind the eyes of the saints and strike me dumb. When the bell strikes at midday, Look south and see the Northern Dipper. When the bell strikes at midday, look south and see the Northern Dipper. That doesn't make sense. Then doesn't make sense. 
the method does, but the essence of Zen is beyond sense. Look south and see the Northern Dipper. Another master said, on top of a flagpole, a cow gives birth to a calf. This is the expression of transcendental wisdom, prajna wisdom. I should have rendered, where it says saints here, I should have rendered that as sages. That's the best thing I can come up with. Um, Saint is not, I don't think saint is a suitable translation for anything Buddhist. Sage may not be perfect, but it's better, I think. All right, that's uh, enough now for biographical material about Yuan Wu. And now we'll turn to the book of his teachings called Zen Letters. Commented on this, various sections of this over the years. Just one paragraph setting the stage of what was going on uh, in his time, the uh, late 11th and early 12th centuries. Sporadic peasant uprisings broke out to challenge the growing inequality of wealth. A reform-minded faction in the imperial bureaucracy aroused the bitter opposition of the bulk of the landlord elite and went down to defeat. You can see that uh, civil strife, rebellion, anti-government behavior is nothing new. The bloated military establishment Although it was adequate to the task of keeping the peasantry in check, it was about to go down to crushing defeat at the hands of a relative handful of barbarian invaders. Can't help but think of January 6th. Whatever its glories, the world of Sung Dynasty China was anything but the serene homeland of quote, the wisdom of the East that some modern Westerners like to imagine. <clears throat> These are letters. Well, that's in the title, Zen Letters. So the first letter begins, uh, Yuan Wu begins, ever since antiquity, with excellence beyond measure, the sages have experienced this great cause alone, planting great potential and capacity. By the power of their vows of compassion, they have brought forth direct indications of the one thing that is most profound 
and most recondite, the common essence of all the myriad forms of being. Let's, uh, let's break this down. The, the sages have experienced this great cause alone. Great cause is capitalized. We can take it to mean that which is beyond cause and effect. The absolute, the essential. And by the power of their vows of compassion, these sages were in teaching, they were expressing compassion. They uh, resonated with some of the most famous words of the Buddha who said, I teach but two things, suffering and the end of suffering. How can we end suffering? For others and for ourselves. What is this? And now he changes the reference to this one thing. Again, capitalize this one thing, the great cause, the common essence of all the myriad forms of being. That's really our work this week, to realize this one thing. this essence, this formlessness of the world of form. Without setting up stages, without being concerned about progress, really, they abruptly transcend to realize this essence alone. Since before the time when nothing existed, this essence has been ever still and unmoved, determining the basis of all conscious beings. It's been called the substratum of all phenomena, this realm of emptiness the void. It permeates all times and is beyond all thought. The only thing that could permeate all times and be beyond all thought is emptiness, the void, no thingness. He goes on, it is beyond holy and ordinary and transcends all knowledge and views. It has never fluctuated or wavered. It is there, pure and naked and full of life. This shunyata, to use the, the Sanskrit word, this fundamental void is a, is a dynamic emptiness a vibrant emptiness, 
and we see its vibrance all around us. All beings, both animate and inanimate, have it complete within them. Now, the trouble with the word within is it sets up a dualism. It's within, but it's not without. It's not outside. It is. And what could possibly separate within from without? If we're talking about one's skin, then that too is empty, has no substantiality to it. That is why when Shakyamuni Buddha was first born, he immediately pointed to the heavens and to the earth and with a great lion's roar, brought it right out in front. Then, after he had left home and sought enlightenment for six years, he awakened at the sight of the morning star. In the end, on Vulture Peak, he initiated the Zen transmission by holding up a flower. All that was important is that we should possess the comprehension of this true I. The true I is the direct translation of the Chinese uh, word for enlightenment. The, uh, the Chinese in their language uh, were used very concrete language. Uh, as is the concrete as the Indian language was abstract. And so in China, enlightenment became the I, E-Y-E, the true I, or true I, letter I, that would work, true self. From the time of Shakyamuni, the true eye was secretly transmitted through the 28 Indian patriarchs and the six Chinese patriarchs. Those who do not know of the existence of the true eye, that is, those who hadn't experienced it, thought that there was some kind of supernatural power or magical ability involved, and just spoke of going along with the waves and pursuing the current never searching out the root of the transmission. Here, this is, he's referring to Taoism. Um, when uh, Buddhism came from India to China, it encountered, well, it, it eventually uh, melded with Taoism and Confucianism to become Chan, or Zen. There's a lot of Taoism in Zen, but they are for sure different. In Taoism, I've never read of, of 
anything referring to an enlightenment experience. I've never read of morality as the foundation of practice or of uh, the bodhisattva ethos, saving all beings, doing this practice to help, to liberate others. And here Yuan Wu is, is I think, correctly pointing out that uh, uh, really they're apples and oranges. That these Taoists just spoke of going along with the waves and pursuing the current. You might summarize Taoism as just go with the flow. But then Yuan Wu says, never searching out the root of the transmission. What is the root? All of these natural forces that the Taoists are so enamored of, so, so appreciative of, these marvelous forces of nature, where do they come from? What is their essence? He continues, in general, when superior wisdom, excellent capacity, and natural potential are already there, it is just a matter of working to penetrate through surely and truly. When you put it to use, you command great potential and unfurl great function, moving even before any impulse to action, operating free of things. And then he quotes another master, Yan, uh, Yantao, Gento, Ganto in, China, in Japanese, spurning things is superior, following things is inferior. Um, let's make that a little, maybe a little more accessible. Spurning things, that is, not being attached to things, <clears throat> not getting um, caught or bound by things. Spurning things is superior. Following things is inferior. Another master put it very simply. Cut, 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 cut. And then he says one more thing. This this earlier master, Yantao, if we talk about battle, each one's strength is in the turning point. <clears throat> the turning point. Good phrase uh, for practice. Every time we notice the mind has wandered, we just turn back. Turn back to the practice we're working on. Pivot. 
in doing this, uh, we move toward this non-abiding quality that is the, the very um, essential quality of our in, in, inherently awakened minds. Non-abiding, non-clinging, non-attachment. Then he says, if you can turn fast on top of things, if you can do this right away, you notice, you thought about lunch, let's say, thought about lunch, back to the practice, right there, just back. Thought about the person to your right, just back. Back to the practice. Thinking about tomorrow, back to the practice. If you can turn fast on top of things, then everything will submit to you. Everything will be in in your grasp. Capturing and releasing, rolling up and rolling out, all can be transformed. Transformed because we don't get bound by things, by change, by circumstances and conditions. We remain free, untethered, All can be transformed. At all times you remain peaceful and tranquil without having anything whatsoever hanging on your mind. In action you accord with the situation and its potential, holding the means of discernment within yourself. Shifting and changing and successfully adapting, you attain great freedom. All things and all circumstances open before your blade like bamboo splitting, all bending down with the wind. It's another reference, uh, another Zen phrase, uh, like the grass bending down with the wind, yielding, leveling. Therefore, if where you stand is reality, then your actions have power. Needless to say, leading brave heroes, commanding fierce warriors, routing powerful bandits, comforting the farmers, pacifying the nation, and assisting the work of restoring social harmony and cultural fluorescence all depend on this one revelation. Let's go back to that phrase, if where you stand is reality. What, what is real but this now, the present? If, he's saying, if you can remain in the present, or avoid getting pulled into the past, thoughts of the past, thoughts of the future, then your actions have power. And Sashin is a reminder of that, that uh, we, we, we do feel so empowered, so energized 
when we can refrain from dwelling in thoughts of the past, refrain from worrying about the future or imagining something in the future. If the only reality is the present, this, everything else is thoughts, fantasies. This, which includes feelings, emotions, and yes, thoughts. Present thoughts are not a problem if we don't cling to them. And then he quotes an earlier master, Yong Jia, who said, it is not apart from here, always profoundly clear and still. If you search for it, you know you cannot see it. That is, if you are looking for it outside yourself. So that is our work this week, is to to stop, to notice when the mind is drifting in any direction from, from right here and now and return to the practice we're working on. It's, it's, it's not easy. We all know it's not easy. But it couldn't be more simple, uncomplicated. Two steps, noticing when the, the mind has wandered, step two, come back. Noticing, returning. Again, back to his phrase, if you can turn fast on top of things, right as you notice the mind wandering, then everything will submit to you and everything will be in your grasp. We'll stop now and recite the four vows.